Good evening. It's Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I think we'll... Uh, yeah, okay, that's better. <laughs> uh, did a little bit of adjustment here. There we go. Good to have you with us tonight. I see one of you have tuned in. Feel free to check in down below as you have opportunity. Uh, we're going to get started pretty soon here. Um, we are in 1 Corinthians, and uh, I deliberately took some time in chapter 11. I wanted to be a little bit more patient as we went through the practice of the Lord's Supper. Um, so before we start talking, let's actually get some, do some prayer here. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless us by your Spirit with insight and wisdom and knowledge of your Son, Jesus, and that um, through the example of the church in Corinth, you would guide us so that we would live in unity of spirit, uh, each individual member utilizing the gifts that you have given. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So uh, just as a little bit of a recap, remember that uh, chapters 8 through 10, which we studied a few weeks back, uh, chapters 8 through 10 considered the uh, food sacrifice to idols and uh, approach to that. All right, um, and then chapter eleven um, had to do with the practice of, well, that there was division. So there was the head coverings was the first conversation, and then there were divisions within the church, um, namely about the practice of the Lord's Supper. Now those divisions in the church are a central theme uh, from here on out, really, in the epistle. And I actually set it up at the beginning. I heard, I don't know, Apollos. I, excuse me, I planted, Apollos watered but God gave the growth. Paul has been driving towards bringing the whole church in Corinth back together, and so he's been illuminating all the ways that there have been divisions and, and um, well, the congregation has been um, fragmenting. All right, And today it's the same, actually, with spiritual gifts. So as we talk about those, um, you'll find that we have the same kind of challenge in the church in Corinth when it comes to those gifts. All right? So, um, I actually should read here. So, chapter 12. Um, we'll talk. Well, I'll read and then we'll talk. How about that? <laughs> so, we'll read through. Oh, I don't know. We'll probably read through verse 6 or so. Now, concerning. Ah, screen. There we go. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributed, distributing to each one individually as 
he wills. All right, I think that's a good chunk to consider. So, now considering um, spiritual things, uh, this word gifts, you can see this is New King James Version. Um, it helpfully will italicize words when they've been uh, inserted by the editor um, as an assumed word. All right, so it's the spiritual stuff. Um, it doesn't actually have, this word isn't present. Spiritual things, spiritual gifts, and he brings in the gifts because that's the language here of chapter four. So the editors did that. Um, it's worth checking ESV. So we'll just jump over to ESV. Um, and it does the same. It imposes that word spiritual gifts, um, where of course it's not present. But you notice how ESV does not indicate that that word um, isn't actually present in the text. All right. So now concerning the spiritual things. Um, now, when he says now concerning, uh, this is a key phrase in Paul to indicate um, a previous conversation. All right, so we're going, it, it doesn't come off so well in English, but, um, but the idea is uh, now concerning the things that we talked about before. And maybe it was in a previous letter, or maybe it, it was um, as he was there. Okay, so we're going to get back to this spiritual gift conversation, the spiritual thing conversation, which we've talked about. So brethren, brothers, again, being gentle, being pastoral here. I don't want you to be um, ignorant without knowledge. All right, so now here's this expression. Um, you know that when you were Gentiles, you used to be carried away to those dumb idols. However, uh, you may have been led. So I'm informing you that no one, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except or but by the Holy Spirit. Now. I'm being carried away by these dumb idols. Uh, now he's referring back to their previous life before their conversion, right? And again, we talked about this with uh, food sacrificed to idols. We talked about this with the agape fast and not transposing that into um, the practice of the Lord's Supper. And now again, concerning um, how you, I, this sounds like worship behavior, right? Um, worship within the temple, how you used to get carried along um, in your spiritual worship. And this theme is going to come up through this whole chapter, that um, this church have um, lost sight of the gifts as the Spirit has given them, and instead are bringing in um, pagan ideas, ideas from pagan worship, to understand the spiritual gifts. All right, so we'll talk about that, especially, uh, well, I'll just give you a hint. I'm looking forward to something like speaking in tongues, all right, and what does that mean? All right, so, however you are led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking um, by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. All right, so now we have this whole idea of, of the connection of the Holy Spirit um, to spiritual, well, to what comes out of the mouth. All right, and um, this is going to come up often, is that that the Spirit and the gifts go together. If the gifts are not those of the Spirit, then they don't come from the Spirit. And um, again, this is really actually even a contemporary problem in that uh, we find that people have suggested gifts of the Spirit that actually aren't given by God's Holy Word. And so, are they truly from the Spirit? Or are they, um, are you imposing upon God um, as something as a gift that he hasn't necessarily appointed, All right? So 
uh, we'll talk about it. And I, and I think what he's getting at here is this way that the church in Corinth, as we saw with the meat sacrificed to idols, as we saw with the practice of the Lord's Supper, they kind of want to have it both ways, all right? So they want the gifts as the Spirit gives, but they also want to continue to behave as they did in the pagan worship and to be indistinguishable from the world. All right. Uh, now, this, this idea about um, that you can't speak in the Spirit of God and call Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, um, this is an important idea that's actually uh, even comes into play in the way that Christians are martyred um, later in the church. So Pliny the Younger in uh, AD 112, who was a Roman governor in uh, Bithynia, wrote to the emperor Trajan that in his investigation of those accused of being Christians, if, if the suspect would curse Christ and worship the statues of God and the emperor, um, then they aren't really Christians. Right? But he knew that those who refused to curse Christ and worship the emperor were true Christians. So this was a Roman who recognized um, that those who were faithful Christians could not curse Christ. Uh, this is what he actually wrote. So again, this is Pliny the Younger in AD 112, so not that long um, after this was written. Meanwhile, this is the course I have taken with those who were accused before me as Christians. I asked them whether they were Christians, and if they confessed, I asked them a second and a third time with threats of punishment. If they kept to it, I ordered them for execution, for I held no question that whatever it was that they admitted, in any case, obstinacy and unbending person perversity deserved to be punished. As for those who said that they neither were nor ever had been Christians, I thought it right to let them go, since they recited a prayer to the gods at my dictation, made supplication with incense and wine to your statue, uh, which I had ordered to be brought into the court for the purpose together with the images of the gods, and moreover, cursed Christ, things which, so it is said, those who are really Christians cannot be made to do. Others who were named by the informer said that they were Christians and then denied it, explaining that they had been, but had ceased to be such some three years ago, some good many years ago, or a few, even twenty. All these two worshipped your statue and the images of the gods and cursed Christ. So it's interesting because Paul uh, mentions this, uh, calling Jesus a curse, and it seems as if, uh, maybe from this letter for something else, um, it really holds on and it is. Uh, becomes then a, well, it's a tool used by the Romans, actually, to uh, determine who are the true Christians. All right. Um, but also the reverse is true. All right. So think of the third article of the Apostles' Creed, Luther's explanation, when he says, uh, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. I can't call Jesus Lord. But, then Luther continues, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it, here it is, with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. All right. So again, um, Luther's explanation to the third article of the Creed, I believe in the Holy Spirit, um, attributes to the Holy Spirit the gift of faith um, and, and what Paul does here, saying Jesus is Lord. And that can only come by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? um, so this is, this is a, a wonderful uh, example for you uh, if you wonder where Luther picked up um, that explanation of the third article. Never mind John, um, say 16 in particular, where the Holy Spirit, um, Jesus says, 
is given to glorify him. That's what the Spirit's job is. Uh, maybe an, a good way to think about this is the way that um, the Holy Spirit, um, I guess we call it this way, he's, he's tethered uh, to Jesus. Right? So you can't have um, the work of the Spirit apart from Jesus. If the Spirit is doing things that don't lead to faith in Christ, then it's not the work of the Spirit. Um, also, conversely, if Jesus speaks, it's his Spirit that is, that is being conveyed. Right? So where Jesus speaks, faith is given by the power of his Spirit. That makes sense. All right. So this, this is really what Paul's doing here in these three verses at the beginning. He's setting the framework for everything that's going to come later on here in this chapter. Um, you know, that it's the Spirit and the Spirit gives. All right, which is important. Not the dumb idols or the mute and silent idols um, of um, the Gentiles or of these <laughs> Corinthians, but when they were Gentiles, uh, where they just did whatever they wanted to do. You know, they were carried away ecstatically, you know, by emotions and by um, their ritual worship, um, however they were led, but there was, it was also directionless. Rather, the Holy Spirit leads to faith in Christ, which is what um, he's setting up here, right here in verse 3. All right, now, so I'm um, continuing on these, this idea. And remember, I said here in verse 1, concerning the spiritual things, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Um, that gifts word isn't there. Here's the word gifts, right? Um, but it, it's, <laughs> oh, it's not helpfully translated. I should compare it to ESV. So here it's, they, there are diversities or varieties, you might say, of gifts, allotments, various kinds of gifts but the same spirit, okay? Um, here it says the same. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. This word gift um, is not just, a, a, it's not, it's actually a technical term. It's uh, charisma. You've heard that word probably. We use that in English periodically, right? Um, charisma. He's charismatic. Um, chari- uh, charis is grace. Um, so the, the charisma are these, they're, it's a specific kind of gift. It's gifts of grace. That is, um, gifts out of God's, well, disposition towards you for the sake of his son. So it's really a loaded word. <laughs> it's not just a simple gift word. All right. And it, again, it's because it's coming from God. It's, a, it's a, a gift of God and it's gift by the Spirit, right? So even though there's many different kinds of gifts the Spirit gives, this is Paul's point, they all come from the same Spirit. Right? And they all actually have the same purpose. They lead to faith in Christ. That's, that was why they were given. Right? So it's really important. All right, so um, now there's actually a threefold kind of thing going on here because there's diversity of gifts, but the same spirit, diversity, differences of ministries, services, but the same Lord, and then varieties of workings or diversities of activities, but the same God who works all in all. So you notice it's uh, Trinitarian. We have the Spirit, we have the Lord, Jesus, and we have God, the Father, um, at play here. And God gives first article gifts, that's uh, workings, right? Things that you do. We have Jesus, who serves, right? I did not come to be served, but to serve, right? So the ministry, the services, the diakonia, um, come from Jesus. And then the gifts that are needed for the ministry and for the work um, of, of creation come by the Spirit who proceeds from the Father and the Son. So you see that all together there. It's a Trinitarian formula Paul uses, which is beautiful. I don't know if you can hear the dog in the background. 
It's barking at something. Nope, it doesn't look like it's picking it up. That's good. All right. Um, now, to each person, yeah, I don't, this translation is a little rough. I'm going to do a literal here. Not to each person, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I think that's a good way to do it. All right. Or you could do it this way. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. All right. So this is another important note talking about so-called spiritual gifts or gifts of grace, is that there may be diversity and differences and variety, um, but they are for the benefit of all. Um, so, so a so-called spiritual gift that doesn't actually benefit all, namely the Christian congregation, the body, which we'll talk about later. Um, it's again, it's a question whether it's a spiritual gift. So if it, so a couple criteria here that are that we're picking up. One, um, is it given? Or does it lead to faith in Christ? And does it benefit all? Right? Or does it, if it's creating division, then is it a spiritual gift? No, because there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father above, of all, right? I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, right? Um, if it's leading away from a unity of spirit, then it's of a different spirit. Very important. So it is for the common welfare of all or common good of all. All right. Now, um, we have some of the gifts that are given here. And this is one list from uh, St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 12. There's also a list in Galatians 4. And then, of course, you have the, the spiritual gifts of um, the gifts of the Spirit in Ephesians 5. All right. So Paul does this kind of list of spiritual working um, in a couple of places. Um, so this is one of those lists. All right. So we have the word of wisdom. Through the Spirit, a word of knowledge through the Spirit, right? Uh, another faith by the same Spirit. I think that's good, yeah. Uh, the gracious gifts of healing by the same Spirit, which we'll have to talk about. The working of miracles, another one. Prophecy, we'll talk about that. And then uh, discerning of spirits. And then other kinds of tongues or different kinds of tongues. And the interpretation of tongues. All right, but one in the same spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. We need to talk about some of these gifts. And again, these are all given for the purpose of faith in Christ, for the benefit of all, and, and namely to build up the church, not to bring about um, division. By the way, that word um, for gift here that we t said is charisma, um, Paul did use that earlier, and we should go back to this uh, in chapter 1. Yeah, here it is. It's the same thing. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God. So there's that word grace, charis, which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and knowledge. See, so we're seeing the same themes here. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Right. So the purpose, again, is that the testimony of Christ be confirmed in you, as Christ has worked faith in you, so that you come short in no gift. And here's that charisma, eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so we've had that uh, language before, back in chapter one. So let's talk about uh, some of these gifts. Um, they all have the same spirit, same Lord, same God. Not all have the same, which we'll talk about in the analogy of the Bible. Um, what should we do with each of these? 
Um, so, uh, knowledge, um, well, wisdom, we should talk about that. Yeah, Sophia in Greek. So, so what he's describing here is he's going to actually flesh out with the analogy of the body later in the chapter. Um, but the idea is that, is that um, God gives uniquely and distinctly to each member of the Christian congregation. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't offices within the church where um, some have particular ministry or role. Uh, but at the same time, um, we, we have to be careful about being, I guess what we would say is, is too hard or fast about, well, this person alone is the one who's wise, and this one alone has knowledge, and this one alone can do this or that. Um, but we find that uh, actually we have to cooperate or collaborate, um, and even the pastor doesn't have all knowledge or all wisdom, right? Now, others in the congregation have that. That's the reason why we do this Bible study, so that you can participate, hopefully, below on Facebook or YouTube or however you're watching this, and then uh, and then give your input um, either live now or later on, um, because that benefits me too, all right? So uh, one of the challenges of, like, say, offering this online Bible study and having, I would say, relatively limited participation in real time is that it doesn't actually benefit uh, me as much as <laughs> maybe it benefits you, um, because I actually um, like to throw out ideas and, and see maybe pious opinions, which I think are true, but still, um, I need your feedback. I need, I need to bounce ideas off of you. All right, so uh, your participation is valuable, even essential, I would say. All right, so uh, it's one of the challenges, I would say, with COVID-19 is that um, each individual member of the body has been kind of asked to, be, to live alone. And so they have a unique gift, contribution to make to the Christian congregation, um, our congregation of St. John, or to your congregation if you're not a member of ours, but to the larger body that is the body of Christ. And yet, um, due to maybe necessity or at least um, civil um, direction, you know, govern direction from our governors and health authorities, we've actually not been able to, um, well, I would say function, that's not, I don't really like that word, actually to live as the body of Christ that he has given us to do. So uh, this picture that we see here, it's really, again, of the gathered Christian congregation, not the isolated individual Christian congregation that's watching uh, via streaming at home. So it's, it's a problem. And we need to think, I think, pretty seriously about the implications of trying to be a Christian alone. All right, uh, because you end up missing some of the, some of the gifts. Um, so uh, no real problems with that. And, and another faith, you know. So um, your faith is a benefit to your neighbor. This is really important to know. So what you know and the wisdom that you've gained through life and even the faith, the way that the, the Spirit has blessed you uh, with trust in God and trust in Jesus. All of this is not just for your own um, benefit, but actually for the benefit of your neighbor, right? Which is, again, why don't divorce yourself from the Christian congregation, because um, your faith, your confession of faith, say, if you um, confess out loud, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, your neighbor may have his doubts or her doubts at that moment, and hearing you confess that out loud benefits them and it strengthens their faith, because it is the Spirit works by the Word, okay? Now, um, we have to talk about these gifts, because we're, we're in the midst of the apostolic church. You know, this is second generation. Uh, you know, Paul's founded an apostle. 
sent by the Lord, untimely born, but still sent by the Lord. Um, and now those who remain there um, are continuing some of the particular, what I would suggest are particular apostolic gifts. Right? So for example, um, the working of miracles. Right? We see many examples in the book of Acts. Um, you see it from the disciples um, who can cast out demons and heal the sick and whatnot. Um, as they're sent forth in the book of Acts, you see the apostles um, can, doing a lot of the same things that Jesus does. Right? And all of this proceeds, this is the way to understand this, I think, um, all of the gifts that preceded, that were apostolic, that came from Jesus, that precede the writing of the New Testament, um, they fall, they, they really disappear as the scriptures are given. So that um, as the scripture, as, as each received gospels and epistles, and then those, especially as those become um, collated together, you know, in the, towards this, even middle, early first century, no, second century, um, there's some who, like, say, for example, have the gift of prophecy yet, and there's some that are claimed to have healing, and then those things really kind of fall out, and they don't really uh, pick up again until all the myth, medieval mythology, you know, with saints, and, the, and not only saint commemoration, but um, almost idolatry of the saints that come in the, uh, the praying to saints, the invocation of saints. Right, so um, really, the, those these gifts really fall out, and it isn't to say that there aren't miracles, um, but they're not particularly attached uh, to the preaching office, for example. Uh, prophecy. Um, some would suggest that this word um, just means to um, to preach. I don't think so. I think these are unique prophetic gifts that is to foresee or for, foretell uh, what is to come. Right. Um, and that gift is actually no longer needed once the New Testament is written either, um, because the purpose of the prophets um, are to to speak of Christ, right? So think of the writer to the Hebrews. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, right? So the last prophet is, you know, who holds that office is John the Baptist, who pointed, make straight the way for Christ, right? So there does seem to be some lingering prophetic gifts um, for the purpose of confirming the witness of the apostles, all right? But this is all again before, um, by the Spirit, the scriptures are written, the New Testament scriptures, and, uh, and codified, all right? Um, discerning of the spirits. So what are we talking about there? We're testing the spirits. This is the ability to distinguish false teaching. All right, I think that's really what's going on there. Uh, we talk about, oh, I skipped gifts of healing. Ah, we should talk about that. So, you know, that could include something like exorcism. I missed that one. Um, and, you know, even somebody like Martin Luther talks about how uh, with prayer and intercession, other kinds of intercession and fasting, um, he, he remarks about Katie. Um, you know, coming through an illness, talks about his own overcoming of illness, at least for a time. Um, he talks about praying. Um, well, actually talks about Melanchthon praying for the landgrave Philip of Hesse, right? And then, and then Philip recovering, right? So, I mean, healing still is possible. We still pray for healing. Uh, but this is that particular kind of healing like we see with Jesus where, you know, or, and then with the apostles like Stephen, uh, and Philip, 
you know, where they can touch the sick and the disease immediately leaves them, all right, which is quite different uh, than what we might experience here. All right, uh, let's see, we talk prophecy, discerning of spirits, and what else do we need to do there? Uh, oh, and different kinds of tongues. Okay, so tongues is going to come up again, uh, even in chapter 14, becomes an issue in the interpretation of tongues. Um, by the way, um, so there's a, a lot of folks that would suggest that this is what's called glossolia, which is has been really popularized since the 1970s, so it's relatively recent. This is the idea of that uh, spiritual gibberish that people think is... Um, uh, from the Holy Spirit, and yet, uh, how does that gibberish lead to faith in Christ? It doesn't. Um, not even in so-called Pentecostal churches that that subscribe to this practice. Okay, um, so if you're jabbering about nothing, and there's others interpreting it to be something that doesn't lead to faith in Christ, again, you have to ask: Is this really the Holy Spirit, or is this some other spirit speaking? Yes, I see Eileen, you're late. You'll watch from the beginning when it's over. Good. Uh, welcome, Grace. I see you joined too. Yeah. Um, so the interpretation of tongues, the, the way to understand this, and Paul uses the same language, exact, really, same grammar, um, same vocabulary as Acts chapter 2. And you know Acts chapter 2, that's uh, Pentecost. You remember specifically what happened there? They were spilled, excuse me, the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You're like, oh yeah, there it is. Gibberish, right? Uh, no. <laughs> just keep reading. We should just go there. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because, here's the explanation, everyone heard them speak in his own language. There it is, other tongues, in their own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in his own language in which we were born? All right, so that <laughs> that's what it is, um, is being able to speak uh, in the languages of other people, right? And for the sake of the gospel. Um, so this is actually this text, but especially the, the First Corinthians text here from Paul uh, was used by Luther and the Reformers uh, when he said, when they said that, uh, the liturgy could be conducted in Latin, but then, and the readings too, but then uh, the sermon would explain those readings in German, right? In the, in the language of the people, so that they understood. So that's that interpretation of the Latin uh, into German. And that's why they retained both German and Latin, the language of the church, and then the language of the people. Of course, we don't use that much Latin anymore. Uh, but we do try to, I do try to bring in uh, in this case, the Greek, so that you best better understand uh, its translation into English. All right, so now um, we want to talk about spiritual gifts a little bit and before we go into this analogy of the body. So uh, one of the first points that I wanted to make is that uh, the Spirit blows when and where he wills, as Jesus says, um, and he gives gifts, and all those gifts are for the sake of faith in Christ, for the building up the body of Christ. Um, and for the benefit of all, right? We've talked about that many times. Hopefully so far, you've gotten it now at this point. Um, now there was a popular thing that, that kind of went, made its rounds, uh, even in my lifetime in the 80s, I think it was still around in the 90s, 
spiritual gift inventories. And these inventories um, were common to, I think, help Christians, if you want to put the best construction on it, help Christians identify how they might serve the church. Um, But the practice actually was leading to a very particular kind of purpose, all right? And that purpose was to uh, lead the congregation into outreach and evangelism. So what are your gifts for evangelism, for outreach? There's actually a distinct problem with this because that's not the only way that the body of Christ is built up. It is certainly part of it in that um, that we gather, or the Holy Spirit, I should say, gathers through us uh, new believers uh, into the household of faith, right? But once they're in the household, they need to be built up as well, right? And that building up can be through what Luther calls mutual consolation and conversation of the brethren. That's in small cult articles. Um, it can be through fellowship, just sharing time together, caring for one another and their bodily needs. Uh, that service can look like um, the maintenance and upkeep of the facilities used by the Christian congregation. It can look like uh, acts of charity and mercy towards the neighbor, right? Uh, there's a diversity of gifts. It could be teachers, right? We have that. Uh, pastors, of course, preachers, teachers. And uh, yeah, so there's many offices, there's many uh, gifts. And actually, what Paul gives here isn't really exhaustive, it's just uh, some of them. But again, if it's not for the benefit of building up the body, then you have to ask, is it really of the Spirit? And if it's, uh, I would also then want to add, if, it, if it's particular, particularly leading people to only see that their Christian service or vocation is in outreach, um, then that's also misguided. All right, so we want to do outreach, um, uh, but we, we run the danger of something... Hmm, in marketing, they call bait and switch. <laughs> we present the Christian congregation in this wonderful light, and then uh, the people come into the congregation, and then they're not actually cared for um, or built up once they arrive, or catechized in the faith, um, cared for in their bodily needs, um, brought into conversation and consolation um, from other Christians there. All right. So um, this work is is much more broad and comprehensive and holistic than simply just outreach, getting, you know, uh, as they say, butts in the pew, (laughs) which really means dollars in the plate, I think, for most people. Um, That's not really the primary work of the church, all right? And even evangelism is something that is much more organic than I think what most people think. Um, They think of it as a mechanical thing, like we have to do XYZ so that XYZ happens. That's not exactly how it works. Um... (laughs) There's many examples of people coming to faith in the scriptures through different means, some through healing, some through the testimony of the apostles, some um, through the care and, and concern of a neighbor or as a friend, right? And you know this is true too. Um, some through marriage, right? I, there's a lot of ways that people, uh, God the Holy Spirit brings folks into the church. It's always, again, leading them to faith in Christ. That's the point. And whatever your spiritual gift is, it should be for that. All right. Um, and again, I don't, I actually like, what Paul, Paul doesn't call them spiritual gifts here. <laughs> I mean, he calls them gifts of grace, right? That come from the Spirit, which I think, you know, spiritual gifts isn't terribly misleading. Uh, but gifts of grace help because then they show they're not, they're your, they might be your possession, but they're, they're bestowed upon you. They're given to you. They're not ones that you drum up in yourself, which was the other problem with the inventories, by the way, is that it kind of invited Christians to 
invent uh, the gifts <laughs> rather than simply receive the ones that they already have, right? So we do, I do this, well, actually Luther does this. He taught me this in the catechism. Um, you know, to examine yourself uh, according to the Ten Commandments. You know, are you a husband or father? You know, are you a mother or um, wife? Are you a daughter? Are you a son? Are you a citizen? Are you a worker, right? Think of the table of duties. You don't have to go inventing places to live out your Christian life. Simply look and see um, who God has already given you to be. All right. And um, by the way, spiritual gifts are much, can be, like I said, the, the list here from Paul isn't exhaustive. Um, think of the Ephesians list. It's pretty, actually almost abstract or generic, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith, humility, self-control. All right, those are all gifts of the Spirit too. Uh, really more attributes, I would say, right? Um, and so each then has works, has services to be given, um, but they're not all the same. And so I think there are some dangers in trying to be uh, prescriptive, right? To say, well, here's what I think you need to do for me or for us as a Christian church. Uh, rather than simply allowing or, or encouraging Christians to serve in the ways that they are able and capable of, again, for the edifying of, or building up of the church, the body of Christ, right? Um, and we'll see this in chapter 14 when Paul says, let all things be done for edification, which is a great way of saying it. Building up, supporting, drawing together for harmony, for unity, not, not to split or to divide. All right, so um, let's see. Prophecy we talked about already. So I think the prophecy has faded. Tongues, again, the function of tongues or speaking in tongues is so that uh, people of foreign nations can understand uh, what you're saying. Um, and I, this might actually still happen today. I think it's possible um, that you know, Christians are sent as missionaries and they, uh, by, by a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, they're able um, to come to terms quickly with the language to, so that the gospel can be shared there. Think of the work of the, our missionaries, the Federowitz family, and their Bible translation, and um, you know, how much of that is natural um, to them, and how much of that is a spiritual gift to them. It's a unique gift of grace that they're able to do that work. Right. Um, so there are some gifts maybe that have fallen out um, that we'll see later on here, and one is that of the apostle. Right. So those who are, we're all part of the apostolic church because we believe the apostolic doctrine, and we preach the apostolic truth, okay? But we don't have apostles anymore. The apostles were sent by our Lord Jesus, uniquely, and alone, right? So that office uh, has moved away. So those who say, uh, you know, this is an apostolic church, if they understand that as to say we preach and teach according um, to the, the faith given to the apostles, as our Lord Jesus has instructed them, good. Um, if they're talking about like we have new revelation and new um, understanding of what God has spoken. God is continuing to reveal new things to us. Got to cut it off. Um, think of like what St. John says in Revelation 22, right? If anyone adds or takes away from the words of prophecy in this book, let him be condemned or anathema. All right? So that's still true today that we don't add to the scriptures. And I, I think probably the thing that we want to understand most here, before we look at this analogy of the body, 
um, is that the spirit and the gifts, and you see this, this will come up here in verse 13. So we haven't quite read that far yet. Um, but all the gifts of the spirit are, are given, actually, the spirit and his gifts are given to every, every Christian in their baptism, right? And again, not everyone receives the same gifts, but all receives the same spirit. And with that spirit, is working. So it's actually a gift of your baptism, a gift of grace. You're not lacking in any of these gifts of grace, uh, as Paul said back in chapter 1, um, because you've, you've received the same spirit. Um, so here's actually how one author talks about these gifts and how every baptized child of God, every son or daughter of, of God, uh, has received the same spirit. In the all-important matter of the Spirit's presence, there is nothing that searching Christian people have to do at all. I'll say that again. There is nothing that searching Christian people have to do at all. There is no looking ahead to certain steps to be taken. There is simply the looking back with faith at the gifts already given in the unpresupposing, or prepossessing baptism. That's an interesting word. Looking back with faith at the gifts already given. We have all the resources we need for overcoming the evil one. For the Holy Spirit was placed within us at our baptism, and faith, simple faith in Christ, the faith that sighs and says its prayers, receives the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit again and again. For the Christian, there are many fillings with the Spirit as there are prayers. Gospel preaching and the faithful administration of the sacraments encourage this faith into life again and again. Fluttering in the breast of every baptized person is the gentle spirit. And as we believe in Jesus Christ, the spirit is at work in quiet power in our lives, conforming us to Christ and sending us out into the world in quiet service. It is no little gift that the people of God are given the presence of God inside their psychic lives and the person of the very spirit of God. Two spirits live inside every Christian, one's own spirit and the spirit of the living God. This means that we have all the resources we need for living the Christian life fruitfully and for faithfully performing the Christian mission God assigns to each of us. So you don't have to go inventing anything. You don't have to go searching for it. You already have it. You're baptized. And really, the the challenge isn't so much um, finding the Spirit as as not denying the Spirit who's already at work in you. All right. Good. Now, um, Paul's going to use an analogy, and we're going to read a big chunk on this. Because I think it's pretty self-explanatory, and I don't know that we have to do a lot of digging on this one. For, as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, uh, so also is Christ. For I'm going to read a different translation here. <laughs> For also we all were baptized with one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and we all were given to drink one spirit. For indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? 
But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body. There's that word. No schism, no division but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice uh, with it. All right, we'll leave the rest off for now. Okay. So again, this is an analogy um, Paul is going to use to talk about how we're all one in the spirit, but then diverse in, in the gifts by analogy of the body, right? One body with many members, right? So eyes, ears, hands, feet, toes, etc. Some modest, modestly covered, others not, okay? But one body. Um, so also is Christ, who is one, right? So the body cannot, in other words, the church, the congregation, or the, or the whole Christian church on earth, cannot be divided without dividing Christ himself. This is really important. Um, so sometimes people say, well, you know, I'm a Lutheran Christian, all right? And what they're trying to say is, um, I'm a, Luth- a Christian of the Lutheran confession, uh, which is good, that we should make that distinction. At the same time, we recognize um, that it's, um, it, it is a distinction that is made for the sake of faithfulness to Christ. But, for example, if um, the eye denied one part of the body, would it no longer be an eye or would it no longer be joined to the body? No, unless um, it rejects the whole body and then it must be cast out, right? Think of G- the way Jesus talks about this. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Um, better um, to go, uh, I think he said, better to go into heaven with one eye than with two eyes and into the hell of fire. All right, so the, the members of the body... Um, you know, they don't have to necessarily agree with each other's function or status within the body or purpose, uh, but they are one body whether they recognize it or not. And notice again in verse 13, here's the key, by one spirit we were all baptized into the one body, into one body, right? So it is our baptism that joins us, that unites us. Uh, I think we talked about this in chapter 11 in regards to the sacrament of the altar. Uh, It is an expression of unity, but it's a unity given in baptism. The sacrament doesn't create the unity, our baptism does. And that's the reason why um, those who are not baptized don't receive the Lord's Supper, for example. Okay. Uh, And it doesn't matter your background. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all have been made to drink drink one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. It's a really beautiful um, confession of, uh, again, the purpose of a Christian congregation or of the Christian church on earth is not that we each go it alone, but that we're all part of, of a whole. And again, um, you know, as a pastor, maybe it's worth mentioning this. I'm um, struggling greatly uh, since about half of our regularly, regularly attending congregation uh, has not returned to public worship and isn't in correspondence, hasn't communicated uh, with me or with others as to uh, what's going on with them. So 
um, we don't receive their service or their ministry or their gifts, and they can't receive ours other uh, as well. And uh, I think it's right then to say that, uh, well, this is going to be pretty bold, but I'm going to say it anyway, um, that the devil himself is using this COVID-19 crisis to divide the Christian church. And we see this really blatantly in certain governors, even our own um, previously, uh, but now I would say the California governor, among others, who are uh, uniquely targeting Christian congregations and their prohibitions for public worship. You say, why are Christians so hung up on this? Because this is what we're called to. And when the government says that we can't do it, even for our own health and safety, um, it's really up to, I think it's really up to the Christian conscience to decide and the congregation's conscience to decide uh, what is appropriate and what's inappropriate, uh, less so than the state. So, you know, I mean, who's going to benefit the most from the way that um, some Christians have not been able to gather for um, now, what is it, seven months, eight months, whatever it's been? Uh, it's only the devil benefits from that. Not the, not, I mean, what is it to save your life if you lose your soul? Right? That's what Jesus says. So, Something to be very um, cautious about and, you know, absenting yourself from Christian worship and from the body, uh, it doesn't go well. All right, so, um, but what Paul's getting at is, again, the divisions in the church in Corinth. And what's really important here um, is that those divisions are being caused by basically jealousy. And he's doing it by way of analogy, but, uh, I mean, we could make it very specific. Uh, so it would be like, People in the congregation saying, well, I want to be pastor, but you're pastor, and that's not fair. I think I should be able to get up and preach, but, you know, but you're the one who only, you're the only one who gets to do that, that kind of thing. Or uh, maybe it's those, um, yeah, I mean, you can just think about all the various roles um, that people have taken on in the congregation, and then others become jealous of those things and want to do them for them. Or um, they look and say, you know what, we just don't need them. We don't need that service, right? So also casting out um, people in their service um, by making some kind of value judgment about it uh, outside of God's word, all right? So again, uh, what we really want to emphasize here is that the body has been gathered by the Spirit, and as it says in verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased, or just as he wished, all right? so. Um, <laughs> we talked about this in the sermon on Sunday, right? Is that um, you might not have to like uh, the life situation that you're in, um, but God has put you there. And maybe rather than looking for what you don't have or who you aren't, uh, rather consider who you are and what you've been given to be today. Okay? So who are we today? What do we have available to us today? Five months? Uh, let's see, what is it? July. I'm looking at the comment now. We're end of July, end, beginning of August 8. Yeah, no, it's almost five months. You're right. Right? Because August 5th, I think our last service was March 15th. So uh, it seems longer than that. Yeah. And if they were all one member, what kind of body would that be? You know, it's a really legit question, Paul. Thanks. You know, we can't all be the same either. Um, because then what would that be? It'd just be, think about it this way, it'd just be an echo chamber, right? We'd all be saying the same thing or doing the same thing, and we'd lack that diversity that really brings uh, the body uh, into a thriving kind of relationship. 
Um, and then he talks about in verses 20 and following, he talks about how, um, you know, there's this hierarchy within the body. And that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Um, and it, but it drives us mad, it drives us crazy as Americans, especially who's, who are ultra egalitarian. Everybody's equal. Everybody's a winner. This is true today, right? Everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> and then you look at like the body and not, not every, not every part of the body is as important as others. Uh, we had a, uh, one of our younger members of our congregation have uh, surgery this week to have tonsils, adenoids, and some other operations done. All right. They took out the tonsils and the adenoids, and you say, well, but that's part of the body, and they're important. Well, yeah, they are, but sometimes they are less important. (laughs) Uh, In this case, they had to be removed. Um, Paul says, no, you can't actually remove parts that you just don't think as necessary. Um, But but actually, he kind of runs with the idea of Jesus, um, where, you know, his perfection is, or his, what does he say, is made perfect in weakness. Is love? Is something is made perfect in weakness, right? Um, that the, sometimes it's the weaker members, um, the less honorable members, the unpresentable parts of the body, or of, especially of the Christian congregation, who are the most beneficial to the congregation. What? How can that be? <laughs> well, you're as only strong as your weakest member, right? Um, but actually, you can learn a lot from weakness. Those who suffer, um, those who are struggling with faith, for example, those who are ill, um, those uh, who are infirmed or homebound, those who um, have uh, maybe a past that is a little unsavory and makes life in the congregation difficult. Well, all of those things force the rest of the the members, the stronger members, quote-unquote, to struggle in their faith um, and how they respond and react and... and, um, respect and what's the word i'm thinking of um how they relate to those other members of the body right so that's a wonderful diversity and and not all of it is beautiful and uh, perfect and holy you know and in in our estimation but he does this so that the greater honor um is given actually to the to the weaker members right because they're they're carried along by the stronger And it benefits, it benefits everyone then. And that there should be no schism, that everyone cares for one another based upon what they've been given, right? Um, so that means that not everybody in the, in the congregation or in the church um, can support the church uh, equally, say, financially or physically or with time, right? Um, not everyone is capable of, say, teaching Sunday school or teaching in the day school or being a pastor or um, being a, a musician. Not everyone is capable or should serve in, 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 as an officer in the congregation in leadership because it requires, I think, particular gifts. We don't just want warm bodies. We want those who have been given by the Spirit um, this, the gifts of leadership, for example, um, or been given uh, the gift of faith that they, they can withstand some of the hmm, uglier aspects of governance of, of a church. All right? So not everybody is unique and not everybody's capable. And that's okay. That's actually good because then we can care for one another uniquely, right? So when I have folks that say to me, I think of church officers as an example, uh, well, you know, I've done my time or, you know, I, I don't have the energy for it. That's actually okay. Let me, you know, um, we'll serve you, right? In, in the ways that we can do, those of us who can serve in that leadership capacity. Uh, I would only ask 
that they then consider how they might serve us. How they not not as a bartering arrangement or some kind of contractual thing, but rather just to say, okay, you can't serve as an officer. Now, you know, where do you see your place in this congregation? What what might you, um, you know, what might you bring that can benefit the rest of us? You know, what's your gift? Maybe it's making, uh, you know, what do they call it here? I don't know, strudel. I guess they call it strudel. You know, they, it comes in. They make it in sheet pans here in Wisconsin. I don't know what it is. Somebody, Don is going to put it in the comments. <laughs> uh, we have, we have. I, I can think of two people that I know are uniquely gifted at making uh, the, that dessert item. Okay, and you say, well, is that enough? Sure, why not? <laughs> right. Uh, but we have this whole value judgment scheme, and well, only the head is the important one, so the pastor is the most important, and like, not really. Um, pastor has a very important vocation, an essential vocation, um, but so do you, because <laughs> what's a pastor without a congregation, and what's a congregation without uh, without diversity? Kuchen, yeah, okay, they just call it Kuchen, thanks, German word. Forgot your umlauts there, Don. Um, and And this is beautiful also because it means when one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, and if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it, right? And this is why I've tried to shift in the last couple of months, making sure that we pray in thanksgiving and rejoicing um, when there's gifts being given, whether it's healing um, or service, um, that we make sure we rejoice in those things. But that's also why we pray for those who are ill and um, in need of, um, of a gift from the Lord, right? Uh, because we all suffer with them. One of the things, yeah, it's okay, Don. You don't, don't worry about your umlauts here. No, not everybody knows how to type in German on a keyboard. Okay, there we go. I wrote it for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things that uh, I think, well, has, has gotten lost in the, in the modern idea of church membership is that they, it's thought of in, in more in terms of, I guess country club is the analogy that I usually use. Some kind of club. Well, up here it would be rod and gun club, okay? <laughs> You know, and so as long as you may pay your dues, or maybe it's a chamber of commerce, right? You pay your dues, you get, you show up in the index, you maybe get a sticker for your business's window, but you don't have to go to any meetings or anything like that. It's just like, whatever. And maybe you do, and, you know, you benefit as much as you can participate. Um, and so people approach the Christian church that way too. It's like, well, you know, I was baptized, I was confirmed, I send in some money, I show up on Christmas and Easter, whatever it is. Um, I maintain my membership, so to speak, and uh, that's enough. And you're like, well, you kind of missed the point <laughs> because I don't want you to consider yourself a member that is a part of the body, but then not live as part of the body, right? Um, because then you lose, you actually lose the benefit. It's kind of like saying, I'm a hand, but I'm going to cut myself off from the rest of the body for a time, and then I'll just kind of rejoin periodically. It's like, what happens to you know, a severed limb? even if it's partially attached. Uh, it doesn't take long for the blood not to flow and then um, for it to shrivel up and you know, die, right? So um, that's what's been lost in this understanding of member. And it's really, you know, when we talk about membership, we're using this language from Paul, this idea of a part of a body. Um, so the commitment like made at confirmation is that you would remain a part of this congregation rather than, uh, and would rather die than fall away from it. Right? And that's what you're talking about, is that's what happens. If you get cut off, or if you cut yourself off, um, you will die outside of, outside of the faithful. So um, maybe what we're running up against here too is that really 
recent innovation, although I think it's been around longer, but it's been popular recently, um, that I can be spiritual but not religious. In other words, I can be, you know, I can believe what I want to believe without actually participating in, you know, the public worship of the Christian church. And from Paul's perspective, it's not possible. You're actually divorcing yourself from the body, and thus you lose your source of life. So it's really important there. Uh, I had some other things to talk about with members. Um, Keeping membership. Yeah. All right, I think that's good enough for now. All right, so now, um, speaking of that, let's look at the end here. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. That's what we've been talking about. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps. Hmm. Is that a good translation? We'll talk about it. Administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And those are all rhetorical questions. The answer is no. (laughs) But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. All right. So again, we're running up against this inferior and superior kind of thing going on. Um, And we misunderstand that and thinking that, you know, it's the same thing that we see in the Christian household where, um, you know, the scriptures give the husband to be the head of the household, the father. And we don't like that. <laughs> we even changed our catechism to say, as the head of the household teaches his family, all right? Um, in some cases, you know, the husband, you know, usually during, you know, divorce or death, um, there is no husband. And so then the mother takes that role. Um, that doesn't make it a good thing. Uh, normally, the, the husband is there. And does that make the husband superior to the wife? No, not in terms of faith. Uh, maybe in terms of authority, but not in terms of faith. It's the same thing in the Christian congregation. You know, is the apostle superior and the prophet superior to the teacher? Actually, yes. I'm not St. Paul. Uh, I'm not Isaiah, you know, just as examples. Uh, I'm just a teacher. Just a teacher. Um, But (laughs) still a teacher, right? Uh, I'm not a miracle worker. um, And I don't have the gracious gifts of healing, right, that they had here. We talked about those things disappearing. Um, I don't speak in tongues, although I can, I do like to, um, to read the, uh, the glossa, you know, the, the Greek and the Hebrew, right? And interpret it. But strive for the gracious gifts that are greater. I think that's maybe a better way to translate this verses. Verse 31, strive for the gracious gifts. There's that charisma that are greater or better are the best, right? And the, I will show you a still more excellent way. Now, Paul is using, um, he's going to, he's setting up chapter 14 here with chapter 12, just like he did with chapter 8 for chapter 10, all right? So now, this all, some of these things are going to come back in chapter 14, speaking of tongues and prophecy in particular, those two, all right? And, and he's going to be really kind of much more aggressive and renouncing the behavior of the Corinth, the church in Corinth at that point, right? But here he's setting up the kind of the general principle, which is um, not everybody's the same, and that's okay. Uh, let's see. Gifts of healing, helpful deeds. I think that's a better way to translate. Gifts of healing, helpful deeds. 
gifts of leadership, that's administrations, right? And varieties of tongues. Yeah. So, um, anything else that we want to talk about? Do you have any questions? You post them in the comments below. I mean, I think probably the one thing I'd note here for you is that this is a little bit different than what we've been seeing uh, because he's talking about he gives three offices, apostle, prophet, and teacher, and then he gives five gifts, miracles, gifts of healings, um, helpful deeds, um, leaderships, and variety of tongues. All right? And it's interesting of those three offices, the office of apostle and prophet um, have been assumed into the office of teacher-preacher. And um, I say teacher-preacher because that's what he does in um, Ephesians 4, right? Where he calls uh, pastors and teachers as one office, pastor-teacher. He puts the two together. And we usually hear that at ordinations and installations, right? Is the pastor superior to the rest of the body? No. Is the pastor given a unique vocation within the body? Yes. All right, and that's the important thing to note here. Um, and, and like I said, kind of to recap what we said at the beginning, uh, what are the best gifts? Wrong question. Uh, what are the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you, I think, is the way that Paul would have you go. You know, you don't have to envy others in that they can work miracles or healings or speak in tongues or be a teacher or a prophet or apostle or whatever it is, administrator, um, you know, helpers. And that's not everybody. Um, but what have you been given particularly for the sake of faith in Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ? All right? And that's the question that you ask. And, and, and don't think of you know, small or weak things as being inferior. I think that's important. Um, inferior, superior, those ideas, um, more important, less important. Well, in some sense, it's true, right? The preaching office is more important for the body of Christ. And it's essential, actually. Uh, and there may be non-essentials. Things, I mean, actually, things that we sometimes consider essential are non-essential. Science school teacher. Um, vacation Bible school director. Nice things. Essential? Not really. Not given by the Bible. Teaching the faith to children? Absolutely essential. How it's done? Whether it's done by Sunday school, VBS, or some other um, strategy? You know, that's not the point. Um, that doesn't make, make those things less important. It just means um, that they're not as essential. It doesn't mean that they're not important, okay? Um, but even the Kukin baker, you know? Uh, what a lovely service for the congregation. Uh, imagine if that person said, well, you know what? I'm going to do it every week. I know it's a big commitment, and there'll be weeks I can't do it, um, but I'd, I'd like to share that gift with, with my fellow brothers and sisters in the congregation. Uh, one, I would enjoy it greatly, and two, um, you know, what business do, do any of us have saying, well, we don't want to welcome that service and that care for, for us? No, it's a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing. So um, rejoice in it. So maybe this idea of spiritual gifts or the gifts of grace uh, is a little controversial, uh, mostly because of both Pentecostalism and its uh, resurge or big surge in the 70s and 80s, um, but also late 60s even, um, but also the way those spiritual gift inventories were used to try to lead people to be um, primarily evangelical-focused, you know, outreach-focused, um, maybe even then to the neglect of inreach of supporting one another in the congregation, and actually creating, a, or by the work of the Spirit, um, he create a congregation that people actually want to be a part of <laughs> because they see um, Christians who love one another. So 
Let's not put the two at odds with each other, but let them both be. All right, I don't see any questions in the chat. Uh, some of you joined us late, so you'll be able to go back and watch it on replay um, later tonight or tomorrow. And I encourage you to do so. And again, if, if going back, if you want to go back and watch it, uh, even if you did watch live and you had some questions in there, feel free to post them in the comments below. And if it's short, I can answer then. Otherwise, uh, I'll delay it till next week and I'll respond to it, you know, at the beginning of the next episode. So Lord be with you all. Thank you for joining us. And uh, God give you his peace.